throw that out for you. Yeah. Already recording, but. You should set that as the intro. Welcome back, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals. I am your host, Chris, and back with me this week is TJ. Hey, guys. Uh, you can find Tubbs at the Club on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, Tubbs at theclub.com, and that's actually official now. Reminder, all opinions on this podcast do not reflect Tubbs at theclub.com as a whole, and are those of the individual persons spitting them out of their mouths. TJ. Reading the Argonaut. Volleyball. Last week, big 3-0 win versus Montana. Followed it up with a 3-1 win versus Montana State. We'll take that. State that makes the them 20-8 and eight wow. with a 12-match win streak. That keeps them in first place. Um, it allows us to finish no worse than second place in conference. November 15th, the day this podcast is out at 6 o'clock, they are against Northern Arizona. They, uh, Northern Arizona is in second place. So if we beat Northern Arizona, we will officially have the one seed. If we don't, we'll need them to uh, lose and ourselves to beat Southern Utah on November 17th on Saturday. That's 7 p.m. in Mem Gym. Uh, That was a quick reading of the argument. We have like zero sports right now. No. Uh, So with that, TJ and I covered volleyball. And now we'll send it to Martin and Brian for your weekly basketball snapshots. This is Brian with an update on our men's basketball season. We lost last night in Moscow at Memorial Gym to Nichols, 80-83. And I have an update on what I'm going to call the subtext of our commentary moving forward. After losing our exhibition game to Lewis and Clark State College, an NAIA team, there there seem to be real questions from some fans and from me about, hey, is this team going to be okay at all? I feel that even though we are 0-2 in our regular season, it's clear the team is at least going to be okay. So from this point on, my commentary is going to be in relation to what I believe we should be this year, which is a mid-level Big Sky team. I'm also not going to be counting the LCSC game stats anymore as they aren't part of the official record and we have more than one game to look at in terms of a loss a loss is always disappointing but this was a close game from the tip-off we led by one and a half we ended up losing by three we definitely looked a lot better than we did against uc irvine although uc irvine is unquestionably a better team than Nichols. the big two determining factors in this game uh, were free throws Nichols made 20 out of 24 And Nichols also scored 22 points off Idaho turnovers. Aside from those two points, both teams were pretty close to even. The promising points I think Vandal should take away is, first, Cameron Tyson was as good this game as he looked against UC Irvine. Against UC Irvine, I said he is not a good shooter. He is an elite shooter, and he has continued to show that's who he is. He scored 22 points. 20 of those came in the second half. He made six out of nine threes in the second half. He's shooting 61% on threes through two games for the year. He's already made 11. And we trailed we trailed Nichols by around seven points late in the game. And Cameron Tyson was our comeback. At one point, he made threes on three consecutive possessions. And 
four out of about six total possessions. Throughout the game, he made two total two-point shots, one on a pull-up off of one dribble, one off a driving shot. But his, his game right now is strictly catch and shoot, which is not a problem. It, it's, it's that we should understand he's operating at his floor right now. He needs essentially no time to get his shot off. He's great coming off of screens. He's great shooting off the move. And I think there's a good chance if he stays at Idaho all four years, not that there's any debate that he will at this point. It's just good big sky players sometimes leave as graduate transfers. But if he is a if he stays at Idaho for all four years, he looks like a guy who's going to threaten for the Idaho all-time scoring title. He's the best scorer on the roster this year, and that's with essentially no off-the-dribble game. We've seen players with Don Verlin develop the off-the-dribble part of their game before. Stephen Madison did that, as well as Victor Sanders. And the way that Cameron Tyson shoots is really electric when he touches the ball coming off a screen. Idaho didn't use him as aggressively in the first half as they did in the second half, and I expect that to change going forward as as our team establishes its identity. Another promising point was Markel Frazier. He scored 12 points, had 12 rebounds, and 6 assists. He did a little of everything except shoot. He's just not a shooter. His jump shot's broken. He took one three. It was an air ball. That is not going to be part of his game. He was quite effective at putting the ball on the floor and getting to the hoop. He also played uh, a lot of the second half guarding Jeremiah Jefferson for Nichols, who is their best player and their best scorer. He's averaging just under 22 points a game. And he looked like the better defender on Jeremiah Jefferson. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Markel Frazier as the person tasked with guarding the other team's best player going forward, whether it's a guy on the perimeter like Jefferson or whether it's a person who has more of a post game. Because even though Markel Frazier is only six foot four, he's a burly and a strong six foot four, and he's a strong athlete. The one downside to his performance is he did have four turnovers. We're going to get into a little bit of where those came from later on. Also, we finally got some production out of the post. Scott Blakeney, he's our starter. He scored 18 points, grabbed seven rebounds. He scored opportunistically. That means we weren't running plays to get post-up isolations for Scott. He was scoring as the recipient of an assist or um, as the result of a putback. We did have a couple plays where screens freed him up near the basket. Um, scoring the 18 points was helpful. I don't think we should presume we're going to get close to 18 points from him with regularity because he wasn't scoring, even though he's a post, he was not scoring in a way people understand when we say we had post-production, which is he's not not a strong back-to-the-basket type player at this point. The times we tried to force it into him in a back-to-the-basket situation, a couple of those resulted in turnovers. But he was a strong finisher. He didn't score outside of four feet, but he doesn't need to. He didn't force any dumb shots. He didn't take any jump shots because that doesn't look like it's part of his game. But he was good at finishing near the basket. That's something we're going to need going forward. We didn't have it in the exhibition game. We didn't have it against UC Irvine where our two centers combined in those two games for 10 points. We got 18 points out of one guy this game. That was a big step forward for us. If we can get something closer to the 8 or 10 range out of Scott moving forward, that's going to help our team establish an identity outside of just being guard heavy. Jared Rodriguez, another freshman, he showed some of the all-around game I talked about last week, scoring nine points, picking up eight rebounds. Overall, 
Um, as a team, we out-rebounded Nichols 42-25, to 25, which is a big improvement from our game against UC Irvine, where we were out-rebounded 42-22. to 22. Again, we had a, a few areas that we saw some improvement. Rebounding is one of them. So in spite of the areas of improvement we saw, we did lose the game. And if we lost the game, it's because there are probably some concerns that showed themselves. And the first concern for me is our point guard or lead guard play. In the first half, five separate players functioned as the point guard or lead guard, which means they initiated the offense in a half-court setting, not in a transition setting where you will have whoever can handle the ball, bring the ball up. That's the nature of broken play. I'm talking about when the other team scores and we voluntarily have someone walk walk or jog the ball up and it and initiate the offense with a pass five separate guys did that in the first half and to me this was not a case of versatility the reason we had five separate players do that is as a team we are not quite sure who our best point guard is and some of the turnovers we had in this game we had 18 total a good amount of them came from non-point guards taking over point guard duties Gino West and Markel Frazier each spent a little bit of time, Gino West more than Markel, functioning as at least a nominal point guard. And each of those guys had four turnovers. A decent amount of them came in point guard type settings. Those 18 turnovers we had, which by the way, Nichols only had nine, those led to 22 points. We scored four total points off of nine Nichols turnovers. And that 18-point gap between points off turnovers, it's something that's going to be quite hard to overcome. And that can help explain why we can almost double them in rebounding numbers and still lose. Mixed in with this concern about point guard play is the performance of our, of our only returning player, Trayvon Allen. He was the guy who we expected to see play as a point guard, and he plays a good amount of point guard. And through two games, he's not looking great. Now, the fact that we had two, he has two bad box score performances, I don't really think that's a big deal. It's a 33-game season. People will have rough games. It's more how he arrived at those box scores that concerns me. Through two games, he's shooting four of 21. He's made three of nine three-pointers, which that's okay. 33% is serviceable. The bigger deal is he's shooting one of 12 on two-point shots. And he isn't just shooting one of 12 because of bad bounces or rough luck he's shooting almost exclusively bad shots right now when he's not in a catch and shoot situation he's shooting some contested mid-range shots which i don't think are great for him right now and when he drives though he's able to to make some penetration he's not fast enough or he's not showing enough speed right now to separate from his defender to finish those drives in the way people associate with a person who's a strong driver in short, when he takes a driving shot, it's a highly contested shot that the other team coach, the other team's coach, would probably love if our team shot thirty shots like that a game. Related to his scoring difficulties right now, if he isn't putting up twelve to fourteen points a game right now, he isn't bringing enough elsewhere for me to justify him being on the court a lot of the time. For a lot of the second half, the the Nichols team strategy was to isolate whoever Trayvon was guarding and let that player go to the hoop. And they were quite successful. By the end of the game, Verlin was doing some offense-defense substitutions, which involved Trayvon Allen coming out for defensive purposes, which was the right move. And Allen doesn't have to be our best defender by any means. But if he is not scoring a good amount, 
I don't know what his role is going forward. This could just be a case where he needs to see the ball go in a couple times, and it truly was that because he missed a few shots, he started forcing some shots, and that leads to the 4 of 21 through two games. But overall, right now, he's looking not too much different from the guy who has a freshman average 5 and has a sophomore average 4, and that maybe scoring 5 to 7 points a game really is who he is. And if that's who he is, I would in no way be floored to see him come off the bench in the future. Now that, again, could turn around pretty quick. But at this point, he's not giving us evidence of the leap we as Vandal fans were hoping we'd see from his sophomore year to his junior year when he had increased opportunity and increased shots that we're seeing. He's not the performance jump along with those opportunities right now has not been there. Now, Overall, I thought Xavier Smith looked the most comfortable functioning as the point guard. He played 15 minutes this game. He played in between 13 and 14 against UC Irvine. But to be clear, I feel he looks the most comfortable. He isn't blowing away all the other four or five guys who function as a point guard. In the first half, he, he had a steal and then blew a breakaway layup and followed that up a couple of possessions later with an airballed corner three, which can help explain why, even though I think he's looking more comfortable, Verlin's not playing in 30 minutes a game at this point. In the second half, he settled down, scored five points, had a few good penetrations where he both scored or passed out to what led to an assist or had a pass that became the pass, the pass before an assist. He's also probably our best defender at the point guard position right now. But there are stretches where he doesn't look wholly comfortable, which circles back to the difficulty Verlin's working through right now with such a young team. We played five five guys who function as a point guard, said that earlier. We also played 10 total guys in the first half. At this point, there's just no way to say the rotations are set. And that's not meant as a criticism at all. With the youth on our team, Verlin will know who should play after we've had you know six or seven more games. And we see whether the players who maybe are winning the positional battles in practice, whether their performance translates to the game itself. I don't think he has enough evidence yet to make any radical shifts. You know, for example, I said I think Trayvon Allen looks more like a bench player right now. We are only two games in, and the guy who I think is playing better at point, Xavier Smith, it's not like he is lighting the world on fire yet. So that is something I think we should watch for in the next few games, but don't be floored if you if we see a shakeup at who plays point guard going into big sky play. Another area of concern that I have and I'm sure the coaches are, are, if not concerned about this, mindful. It's the size we work with, which is our starting lineup is a good-sized team. We have a 6'9 center. We have a 6'8 and 6'4 wings, and our 6'4 wing is uh, strong and plays bigger than 6'4. Starting guards are 6'3 and 6'2. For a big sky team, that starting lineup is fine. It's that we have no size whatsoever off the bench. We're starting both our wing players. We don't have a wing player off the bench who isn't a guard. And our size off the bench that comes in to replace the burly 6'4", or the 6'8", Jared Rodriguez, is we have a 6'2", Geno Smith, or we have a 6'4", Xavier Smith. He plays point. And when he when he plays point, we also see Trayvon Allen as 6'2", shift over to either the two or the three position. But when you take either, if you take Rodriguez off the floor, immediately we are starting four guys. Who, we're playing four guys for a 6'4 shorter. If Markel Frazier comes off the floor, 
we have three guys who are 6'4 or shorter, but we lose our strongest player and we don't have a player who strength-wise can function as a power forward in the way that Markel Frazier does because of how athletic and bulky he is. Now, the fact that we play small that we play small isn't necessarily a problem. It's that we had 18 turnovers that led to 22 points in this game. Turnovers were a problem in our last game. If we're playing small, we have to protect the ball, and we cannot give up points off turnovers the way we have in those two games. Additionally, in the game against Nichols, Cameron Tyson shot six of nine from threes. He made all, all his threes in the second half. Shooters who were not Cameron Tyson shot a total of two of 14 from three. Now against UC Irvine, that number, the three-point shooting of non-Cameron Tyson players was seven for 18. And if those guys are shooting seven around seven of 18 or six of 18, that's serviceable. That's okay. It's going to be tough for us to win being small, shooting as bad as we did from three uh, with players other than Cameron Tyson. Some of that difficulty in meshing our playing with size or without size and playing with, with the right shooters and having shooters in the right places, some of that is going to be settled as our team just plays more and the coaches get a better idea of who excels where. But finding the right combination and the right rotations is going to be something that matters going into big sky play, where for us to compete for towards the top half or the middle of the league, we we need to be comfortable with who is running the point guard. We, we're not going to be able to play Montana and have five guys function as a nominal point guard when with none of them excelling at that spot. We're not going to be able to play a team like Weber State and have players other than Cameron Tyson shoot two of 14 from three. Now, we, we should expect variance. When you play guard heavy, you have some variance built in. And we also have a lot of young guys playing, so we should expect some variance and mistakes just based off youth. For example, we trail by two with about 40 seconds left. Nichols has the ball. We need a defensive stop, and we're in position to force overtime or win it with a three. Jared Rodriguez commits a foul off the ball before Nichols has initiated their offense. There's no penetration. Really nothing had happened in the play yet, and he committed an off-ball foul. Well, Nichols got to shoot two free throws. They made their free throws. Suddenly we're down four with about 35 to 40 seconds left. That's a completely different game than down two, but we're on defense. Those are some of the mistakes of youth, um, and some of that can be at this point since our rotations are not wholly set. It might not be clear who should be on the floor in a late-game close situation, but I expect by Big Sky Play we're going to be clear on that, and it's not like we don't have talent. We do. I'm happy with this team. I think that within the next at least two years, this is a team that will be competing for an NCAA tournament berth, but we're in the early stages where the team down to the coaching staff is not wholly sure about who we are and strategically how we play, what players, and what situations to put them in. Our upcoming schedule between now and December, we play against Bethesda in Moscow on Sunday the 18th. We play versus Northwest Nazarene on the 23rd of November in Boise. We play against UCSB on the 24th of November in Boise. Then we're back in Moscow on November 27th to play West Coast Baptist College. I expect we should win three out of four of those games because the every team that is not UCSB is an NAIA type of school. Uh, so those won't be quality wins, but we should expect we win three out of four games. 
the UCSP game could be tough. They have a they have a couple wins already that look like they could be okay. Um, UCSB is going to be interesting for us because they have a pseudo Big Sky non conference schedule. They play Montana State, Portland State, us, and Sacramento State. So in some ways, UCSB is going to be a good barometer for us heading into Big Sky play. In that Montana State, Portland State, Sacramento State, those are all teams that will want to finish in the middle tier of the big sky. Montana State probably thinks they could be they could finish in the top tier. I don't necessarily think they could, but those are teams that we should consider winnable. How they do against UCSB will be could be something that helps us understand what to expect once we do enter big sky play. Overall, I'm adjusting my win expectations for this team. I said in our preview, I expected around 16 wins, and I referenced a ceiling of 21, um, which was probably hopeful, but I also just hadn't seen seen the roster play. I still think 16 is a safe number. It's I adjust the spectrum of potential wins to between 13 and 17. I'm hoping for the 16 and 17. Since coming to Idaho, Don Verlin has never had a team win less than 12, and this team certainly has talent. It's just we have some questions, which I've talked about at length already, that it's going to take some time for us to resolve. Uh, but overall, Vandal fans, I believe, should be happy about the direction of this team. And the question we should be asking is, can we understand who we are? Can we have players develop enough to compete for the NCAAs next year? Or will it be in two years? If, we're, if we finish this season with around 17 wins, I think it would be safe to say that we will be talking about postseason play next year, or at the very least, two years from now. All right. Thanks, Martin and Brian, for once again having you know very in-depth analysis of yeah, our always. men's and women's basketball as teams. Always. Yeah, as always. And more to come this season. This will probably be the last, I don't know if it will be the last shorter updates of the season, because uh, we do have a review show next week. But uh, once conference play starts up, expect uh, Brian and Martin to really get more in-depth with every Big Sky matchup and uh, a little bit more like that. Unless you guys like it the way it is, then we'll keep it. Because like we said, this is new, and we want to do it however you guys want to do it. Unlike the football team that did not do it how we were planning on them doing it this year, finishing off what's practically the end of our season with a 46-27 to loss in the KB Dome in front of 14,571 fans. Wow. Yeah, it was a uh, like was that nine hundred and thirty twenty nine people away from a sellout. Yeah. So big, and it made it look like a sellout. It was huge, even on TV. Yeah, and, and not as many Montana fans as I thought there'd be. I mean, there were a lot there, but I was afraid you were going to see a ton of red and be like, "Wow, they got outshone in their own stadium." Yeah, they didn't. Uh, we we held our own. I personally haven't seen the Dome that packed since the 2010 season. It definitely, obviously, Boise State having the most I've ever seen where, like, you had to stand in an alleyway to get a seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other like Hawaii, and there's a couple other games I kind of remember from 2010 that were kind of maybe not even that busy. But mm-hmm. it's been a while, almost a decade, since the Dome has been that packed. And good scheduling for Dad to begin, too. I mean, it was. To, to maneuver, maneuver these games around Dad's weekend. Well, it's, homecoming. it's the last Dad's Weekend. I don't know if you heard that news. I have not. It is. It's not the end of the world. They are officially are changing them to Parents Weekend and Family Weekend. That's a big That's a big deal. It is. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a very controversial deal. We're not getting into it too big here. A lot of people are very torn on the subject. But uh, 
Yeah, so we parents weekend in the fall, family weekend in the spring. Can we cover that in the review, or can I talk about that now? Uh, sure, whatever you can talk about. I just think like the dad's weekend is always for football season. That's the time when the dad's gonna come up. Well, why can't moms watch football? They can. There's more than plenty of games to come up and watch during the season. They went undefeated at home, except for you know this game. And homecoming is always a blast. There's always other games, but there's always that football game with your dad that you sit down and watch. And then in the spring, there's always that weekend with your mom. Right? I, I I agree with you. Yeah. I think uh, homecoming is family weekend. There you go. Right? You don't have to be an alumni to come up for homecoming. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come up for homecoming. Um, and I agree, dad's weekend was very big for, I mean, it's big for Greek life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certain events they had planned around each. Obviously, their mom and dad's being in town that don't really mesh when both are in town. But I'm sure they'll all figure something out, and Mom's Weekend was fun with the lacrosse games and everything like that. But, you know, it's uh, it's a time of the future. I guess so. And I know a lot of people were upset, and so maybe it won't stick. But, yeah, yeah this was uh, technically the last Dad's Weekend. Wow. So. And you can't send the dads out with a loss. So no. you might as well just go back. Do another one. Yeah. Yeah, right? Until we start winning, and then you can't get rid of it. So mm-hmm. it's just a never-ending cycle of Dad's Weekend and Mom's Weekend. But... Yeah, I guess, the, never mind. Moving on to the game, although I don't know if it's more exciting than the controversy of Moms and Dads Weekend, being yeah. coming Parents and Family Weekend. Um, man, what an interesting game. I just can't say, before we start, I don't, we're not going to rip the team, but uh, man, I'm just so proud of the turnout of that game. Yeah. Um, between Montana fans and the Vandal fans there, like I said, I haven't had a wait to get into the student side is always different because they have to swipe your card. But having a physical ticket, you've been able I've been able to walk into about every single game since probably 2012. This game was actually a line down to about where the box office is wow. to get into the dome. It was it was insane. The atmosphere was so electric. The guys behind me had cowbells. So the cowbell thing went around. Your dream came Tubs of the club broke that. The cowbells were allowed. So yes, we're taking credit. Um yeah, there's cowbells. It was loud. People were actually standing up on at least third downs, and I was in kind of the older section. People were standing up on third downs and yelling and hooting and hollering, which you just don't see at Vandal games that much anymore. It's such a quiet atmosphere. Ed Hall was quoted after the game saying he's never seen the dome like that. He's seen pictures and thought it was photoshopped. <laughs> uh, like it's absolutely. It was such a fun atmosphere. Um, and I just wish we could have more games like that. Yeah. And, you know, if we win, hopefully we will. I know it was a rivalry game, but... Um, well, and I, I guess you take both sides of the spectrum there that I think finally people realize that, oh my God, we're in the we're in the big sky. These are, you know, these are geographically rival teams, especially while you're playing for a trophy. Yeah. Um, but on the other side is they kind of gave a big, you know, slap in the face. Like, they did. Uh, like a lot of the uh, upper tier teams have this year and saying, you can't come down to our conference and think you can just step up and win. Games. Yeah, it, we're TJ and I are in a very weird spot. Mm-hmm. So you guys might get a little bit of a repeat. Mm-hmm. We have a big review show planned next week with Sean and Martin on, kind of covering our thoughts, how everything's changed from our preview show to obviously a review show after the season. For those of you that listen to the preview show, if not, go back and listen to it. Um, so you kind of have an idea of what we'll be talking about. But like, my one of my biggest takeaways from this season and the Montana game is officially the stamp and seal on it is some people don't consider all these people our rivals, so we'll call them peer institutions, our closest foes. We struck out against Idaho State, Eastern, Montana, and Montana State. 
the four teams that people were probably the most excited to get to play with the move, and we completely whiffed. Um, you could call maybe a foul ball on the Montana State game with it yeah, snowing and no. the the the, the, yeah, the controversial PAT. But either way, we struck out with Montana. The four teams we were ready, the most excited to play, we absolutely just didn't show up for. And three of the which were huge blowouts. Yeah. So it's um, I guess it kind of shows you know the uh, the pioneer the staples in this conference. You know they're the real deal. This isn't yeah. some. You know, we we talked a lot about it being a drop down at the start of the season, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be. It's going to be kind of a step up for our program to try and figure it out. Yeah, no, and the Sagarin rankings has the big sky somewhere between the Sun Belt West and the Sun Belt East, and obviously the East is being propped up by Georgia Southern and Appalachian State success an, right now. That's an interesting. It is, you know, uh, but it's also it's computer rankings. There's a reason why the BCS doesn't exist anymore. So I'm not going to read too much into those. But yeah, I mean, this game was just. I mean, it started off good. Like I said, the fans were in it, but, I mean, the team just laid an egg. And I know, TJ, you were watching on TV. Yeah. Um, what the heck happened with Petrino? I'm not sure. I mean. Like, did, did they talk about it on the broadcast? I I was not watching it at a place where I could listen to the broadcast. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, well, so I guess for those of you that also might have been like TJ, we had, like, a crucial, like, third and eleven. Or maybe it was like fourth down. I think they were about to punt or something, and they threw a flag and they called a personal foul on Paul. And everybody in the stands was like, "What the hell just happened?" And that was kind of a weird turning point in the game. I mean, we were still in striking distance at that point, and then they were able, I think, to go down the field and score a touchdown. Uh, that whole game is such a blur because everybody around me was probably gone after like mid third quarter, and I was just sitting there like, "Come on, all we need is this." And I wanted to live tweet it, but. I mean, I don't know. It was just... Yeah, as, as far as the game goes, I think it's really tough. We're not... It, it, from what it looks like this year, we weren't a comeback team. That, that no. Wasn't, that wasn't going to be... It's not a thing. So, you can't throw the ball 20 yards. Yeah, so <laughs> as you make that comment, um, the, uh, you could tell from the start. I mean, that Dalton Sneed, you know, he had 182 yards and three touchdowns in the first half. And it was 36-3. And, you know, kudos for... You know, on the broadcast, the Vandal fans stayed. They thought, they you know, we come out, maybe we score, we could get back in this thing and, and have a shot. But, you know, it, it's it's going to take more than kind of late game points on the board and, and making these runs to uh, beat these teams that we, we're going to see every every year. Um, but, yeah, it, it was, it's just tough to watch when uh, they start out kind of shaky like that and – you know, the Grizz, Grizz are all fired up to run up the score. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to try to cover this game because, I mean, I mean, you'll get 14 points by Montana in the first quarter, 22 points in the second quarter. Uh, we had three in each of those quarters. We probably should have gotten another three right before halftime, but once again, just terrible clock management, not having timeouts when you needed them. Yeah. Cost us possibly three points. Uh, either way, it cost us points. Um, I mean, how much better would this game look if it was a 16-point difference? But... Yeah, I mean, either way, it's just even sixteen points. It was just a, it was just stomping. Mm-hmm. It was not close after about five minutes into the first quarter, and that's what I'll say to the fans: you guys haven't turned out all season, but that was so impressive that I will say at the end of the game when the clock hit triple zeros, there were still more people in the dome than that had been in the dome for any single game this season. Mm-hmm. There was still probably a solid. 
6,000 fans right. still in the stadium at, at 000. Not to mention when that kickoff happened, there was not a single person probably not in the stadium that was coming and, in. And it looked like Montana was actually intimidated by our fans. Like they, they were looking up in the stands like, oh my goodness, this is yeah. wild. This is bonkers. Oh, they were taunting. You know where I sit. They were taunting us. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the sideline guys. But even some of their plays, you know, it just kind of like broke out for a first down. You know, they, they just kind of handed it off and saw what happened. But our defense really wasn't making the plays that it needed to be. Because we kind of come up with stops early, you know. Yeah. They, we can't let them get out to a lead like that. Yeah. And then second half, kind of some of those interesting plays with the with the onside yeah. kick. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was I was pro the onside, but um, no, it's dude. Dalton Sneed's a leader. Yeah. I just watching him come off the field after every one of their drives, go shake every single offensive lineman, congratulate them, then go to his wide receivers, talk, then the running back, then go to the coach. Then sit on the sideline and instantly not sorry not sit on the sideline, which is not something I'm not blaming anybody. It's most a lot of our quarterbacks I've noticed that about them is and for rightfully so the way we're usually in games they need to get the coaching. Yeah, but he was literally shake the offensive lineman's hands, pat him on the shoulder, go talk to his wide receivers, see what else they could do, go talk to the running backs, talk to the coach, and then he was literally. Standing, helmet on, clapping, cheering on the defense yeah. until he was going back out. Yeah, and I was just like, you see that? And you go, now that's what a freaking leader is. That's a big sky he quarterback. Goes, yeah, he then... takes care of it, what he needs to take care of, and then he's like, I'm cheering on my freaking defense. And it was just, it was cool to see. And also, I haven't sat on the Idaho sideline, but the Eastern game this year, so I haven't gotten to see a lot of our sideline interactions. I don't ever recall that from even Nathan Enderley. So mm-hmm. I mean, we're going year past. Linnan or past challenge, past Linehan, uh, obviously now Mason and Colton. Um, it's just it was cool to see, and it made me realize, like you know, what what could be. But I don't know if there's much more I really care to take on this game, other than the fan turnout was amazing. I'm worried because it was the first game against Montana in 15 years that so that was part of the reason people really showed out. Uh, I'm not sure if next time it's in Pullman or Moscow in two years if. People still show up, especially the teams doing the way they're doing like this year. Yeah. This year it was an event, I'm afraid. But I hope Vandal fans will realize win. that that's a trophy game. It is. We don't get, you know, to win six games and they And, and that game officially trophy. tied their win streak in it. So yeah. we're officially tied at five games apiece. And we have the same record. So, so they could set the record next year in Missoula. So if you better go and be loud because mm-hmm. we can't let them. And three of those wins would have been against us when we were in the FBS. Mm-hmm. That's just embarrassing. You know, I, I've got faith things will turn around. I did a little bit of research that we'll probably cover later. I, I've got faith the next season without getting too much into a preview slash review. Uh, TJ, any closing thoughts, or should we just go to Club Card Club Card Day Players of the Game? Club Card Day Players of the Game. I'm going to go with the last home game for the Vandals in the largest crowd you know he's ever seen is Isaiah Saunders. Um, Damn, that was my number one. Why do I always let you go first? (laughs) (laughs) If you snuck it in, you know I'd be stuck. Um, But yeah, he rushed for 123 yards, and um, he is going to be greatly missed. You know, he's kind of our power guy. He he is a great leader out there. He's he's learned from you know Penny and and transferred it on to Walker, and I think it's going to be a great transfer uh, transition over to Walker. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Isaiah Saunders. You you're allowed to go to the club card and get a club card day, Isaiah. You you, you can go. <laughs> uh, yeah, now you're you're all done. You have a kid at home though, so you're not gonna babysitter. But um, yeah, uh, 
Well, now I'm really torn. I'll give Kate Coffee a tub token just because I had Montana fans talk about how great her punter was. <laughs> but when you don't really have a super key punt, per se, because it wasn't close, you didn't like pin him back when you got mm-hmm. safety. Unfortunately, I have to give it to someone that had a little bit more noticeable impact on the game. Um, and you're still around. I'm going to give it to Caden Ellis. It was senior day. I feel like we should give him to the seniors. I feel like it was a wasted season for him, but, I mean – he still balled out. He still yeah. took care of business. He was in the backfield. I think he got two sacks in this game, or at least two tackles for the loss. It's weird with Sneed because you don't know what's a drawn-up run and what's a yeah. broken play sack. But he was in Sneed. He was he was one of the three players that you could tell really actually wanted this game the whole game, even when they were down. Never looked like he quit. Uh, so I'll I'll give mine to Caden Ellis for sure. You know what I'm more excited for? What's that? To talk about this upcoming game. I'm I'm actually less excited. Known as hashtag the rematch. Um, Lightning strikes twice. There we go. I like that even better. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Idaho is traveling down to Gainesville, Florida to play the number 15, which the college football playoff rankings just came out. I'm pretty sure that's not the same (laughs) because I'm pretty sure they lost. But... uh, (laughs) Either way, it's probably top 25, maybe just outside the top 25. Southeastern Conference, because it just means more. Florida Gators in the swamp, uh, which is a return for in 2013? Mm-hmm. 14? 2013 or 14 when Shouts. we played them. Shouts out to Jack Tate and Tom Hennessy yeah, was there. Jack Tate, Tom Hennessy, Brady Strodbeck. Yeah. They played down in Gainesville, and we only got the opening kickoff off after two lightning delays. And so this is a payback trip. They're covering our travel expenses, and that's it. So we don't actually get paid for it because we got paid for it the oh, first time. Plenty of. For one yeah, time. like one point something million. But uh, either way, it's – I wasn't planning on watching it, I'm not going to lie, because I figured you guys don't care to break it down. Because if we pull out an upset, trust me, it would be a nice episode. The way the season's gone, I've never actually picked against the Vandals on this podcast. And I'm not going to no, do it today. So we'll get to that later. Uh, but this game's at 9 a.m. Pacific. Pacific time and 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, awesome. So awesome. on ESPNU. National so podcast. that guy at that wedding who told me when was the last time you guys were on ESPN when I was insulting the Broncos against BYU. And I told him we'll be on it in three weeks. He said, yeah, right. Tune on into Tubs at the Club. Three weeks later, yeah. we're on ESPN. I'd rather take a 9.30 p.m. start by the Broncos or 9 a.m. start by... I'd rather watch a 9 a.m. team from the Vandals than a 9 p.m. start sure. against the Broncos. Uh, but yeah, we'll be on ESPN News, so you might as well just freaking watch game day. Tune it on, and then if it gets ugly, that's right when another game you'll know will be good. And so you'll, you'll just tune in and go, oh, uh, blah, 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 versus blah, blah, blah. It's a close game. So, yeah. so For a lot of, you know... Kind of, for a lot of Vandal fans that don't know, this is known as the SEC tune-up week. It so is. So they do it uh, differently with kind of, they, you know, schedule their big games up front so they can, um, you know, have this national coverage from the start. And then before, you know, they get to bowl season or their their biggest rivalry games, they will end up scheduling a, a easier game. So in reference, uh, Alabama, they play the Citadel this weekend. And uh, Georgia, who's top five, plays UMass. 
So, so some familiar FCS teams. Yeah, we, we haven't played UMass, mm-hmm. but we have played the Citadel. UMass is FBS. Mm-hmm. Are they? Yeah, oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah. But they don't have a conference. Yeah, they're yeah. they're manning up and uh, going independent until a conference rolls around after getting kicked out of the uh, MAC, just like New Mexico State. Right. So it's With, a it's a little bit tougher to beat these teams at the end of the season and kind of the uh, first week jitters that that could happen, but. You, you never know. So, mm-hmm. my only projections for this game, I guess, Ortiz, did you have anything you want to talk about before I just roll into this? And then I'm done covering this game, to be honest. No, I, I here's. You said you're excited for it, so. Yeah, I can, I'll give my hot take on the game. Let's do it. Oh, you want to give your. I have four school takes later. Well, I'm going to go with it now. All right. So, you know it. Fire. So, they ran the kick back to the five yard line, the first play of the game against Florida. I say we run a, a kick back. This game. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my corner school take, just I guess to give them out of the way before we talk a little bit more in depth, I don't see, I think we score less than 10 points. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, not a hot, that's not a hot take. That's a hot take? That's when have point. I ever said we score less than 10 points? So I did a little research. New red shirt rule. You're allowed to play somebody four games without blowing their red shirt. Obviously, this applies to not just freshmen, but I only looked at the freshman numbers. Here are the players that we have played over the four games um, and actually utilize as freshmen to give you a little bit of excitement for next year. Tyrese Walker has played 10. Trey Walker, the linebacker, has played 10. Connor Whitney, the tight end, has played 10. Logan Kendall has played 6. Logan Floyd has played 10. And Dalton Cash has played in 10. And Harrison Ashby has played in 8. So those are your freshmen that have been big contributors this year. The guys that you should absolutely, no matter what, I swear to God, Paul, play this weekend are Edward Becker at linebacker from Genesee, Michael Mafu, the defensive lineman out of Phoenix, Arizona, and Seth Carnahan, the offensive lineman out of Sumner, Washington. These three players already have their four starts. Do not play them. Use the red shirt. This game means nothing. Save them for next year so they can still remain redshirt freshmen next year. Because they're also contributors enough that they've played in four games already. Please do not start them a fifth and blow the redshirt. Players that have seen a little bit of time that should definitely play this week. We have Michael Noel. Michael Noel. You have Kyrie Currington. You have Seth Schneider. You have James Jones. And that was it. So those are the guys who have already played, but are still, even with this start, especially Kyrie Cunningham, it'd actually be at his fourth start. These are players that you've obviously liked enough to play. If this game gets out of hand, I'm not saying play everybody and just give up on the game. Once this game, if this game gets out of hand, play these guys because they've obviously have already played this year. Might as well get that little, oh, and Jackson Woodard out of Seattle. Get them a little bit of experience because you're allowed to. And it makes no sense. I know the seniors give them their starts like they deserve to play in another big game like the Swamp, especially since we recruit a lot in the South and Florida will be big for some of these guys. But otherwise, start playing some of these guys and utilize the redshirt rule. And there's a, a whole list of these other guys I would like. There are 28 players right now that are eligible to play on the freshman side of things and still retain a redshirt next year. I would like to see if possible – 12 of them play. Yeah. I know that some of these guys won't even be on the team in three years because it's just the way it works. Right. But I would like to see at least 12 of these guys who maybe haven't even had a start yet 
get at least a special team snap. And, and imagine what that does for those guys. I mean, especially the guys that are, are going to be good athletes for us, you know, in four years or, you know, even you know, I mean, yeah, like the guys that, you know, you want to see in the future, you know, what is, what's one tackle going to do or one reception for them? It's going to be huge. Especially massive. when they get it still be four years. Yeah. Like, like you, this, as if I was, you know, one of those guys, and you went down to Florida and you made a tackle for, you know, maybe a two-yard gain. You stopped yeah. them from making a big run. That is, that's going to go so far in their, you know, career and their mindset for what they'll do for Idaho football. Yeah. So I completely agree. You know, have these opportunities. And my whole point being the fact that this is the first year doing it, and the fact that we've only experimented with. There's only three guys that have hit their limits. So you could say we've experimented with. And then I'll, I'll throw Kyrie in there just because he's ahead three and probably plans on playing this game. So we'll call it four that we've used. It just bothers me to see that, like, there are all these guys we could be playing right now, especially when you look at how many blowouts have happened this season between two blowout wins mm-hmm. and, like, five blowout losses, and there's not time to get some of these guys in. And that that's what has frustrated me the most. So with Florida, I'm looking at let the seniors – play get one more big game under their belt if it gets out of hand maybe instead of play the, some young instead of the pod we just write an open letter to paul uh, uh addressed to paul. your return address mm-hmm. yeah. um <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, he knows this stuff yeah. we're gonna make our pick but thanks to martin because it's a freaking genius idea and i can keep my streak alive mm-hmm. we will be picking against the spread for idaho Florida. i saw that <laughs> yeah. so the spread is Negative 39 on mybookie.com. I will say I wrote this yesterday. It's been taken off mybookie.com. <laughs> so not enough people were betting on Idaho to the fact that they just dropped it. I but we'll see. go at the last spread they had posted. Negative 39. So that means Florida, for those of you that aren't into sports gambling, is expected to win by 39 points. I also always avoid vandals like the plague, okay. except two games this year. I won big against Montana State. And then Eastern freaking wrecked me. So I'm back to no longer betting on Idaho. I just. Hypothetically, I if hope, I sports I hope that, that Florida kind of is looking at the same thing as we are, is saying, let's play some of these young guys and test out some new offenses. Especially before you have a big week next week, because the FBS is not over. FCS starts playoffs next I weekend. Their final you know, if we were an A plus quality yeah. podcast. Hey, we're getting better. If we were an FBS podcast, all right, we would have known that. Right. But we're only worried about the FCS, so we don't care. It, the season ends after next week. I don't care. I'm going to go cover. And I hope it's a last-minute uh, effort, and I hope we're on uh, Bad Beats, Scott Vantel. Because it doesn't count as picking against them, I would I would put money on Florida. 39 points is a lot. Usually anything over 30, you technically want to take a real good look at, because 30 is that's that's over four four possessions. You, it's hard to beat a team by over four possessions, but the way this team has played and the way the SEC has played against our former opponents in the Sun Belt this year, uh, I could see them covering this by a good chunk, um, especially if I'm doing what we're hoping we're doing and play some of these young guys to get experience. I, I would definitely put my money on Florida. For all your fouries that are listening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Joey Har- and or, the Harringtons. Uh, the Harringtons. Yeah. All right, we already did corner still take, so buzz right past that. Shave some time off the podcast. Well, I have one. No, well, th- no, go. You're no, your co-host. Have, I have Butt one. in whatever you I want. I have one that you had that you just thought of. It. 
it was really good that you touched on that. Really good that you had, and then it came back into fruition. I was just thinking of it, and I was just like, "Oh my god, he called that." But no, yeah. Well, you heard that. I called it. <laughs> That's the important part from what you said. Watching the TV, TJ. There are a lot of really good FCS. Oh, you notice how I also changed it to FCS game of the week? To be fair, I started this season by picking an FBS game, and you started with an FCS game. But yeah, so I just threw everything else off. But so we're doing FCS game of the week. TJ, I'll let you have first pick. And there's literally a solid. This is probably for those of you that are watching one of the best weeks for FCS football watching, and we'll cover probably all. We will actually cover all three games, so that makes sense to pick from. I think as I've grown... I know at Florida, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think as I've grown to uh, understand the FCS more this year, and I know all the FCS real fans that are listening will cringe at this, uh, <laughs> the game of the week I'm excited for is Harvard-Yale. Yeah, why would they the cringe game? at that? The because, game! Because there's, the there, game. there is absolutely no outcome that affects the FCS tournament in that. True, actually true. Because yeah, so. for those of you that don't know, uh, the Ivy League does not participate right. in the playoffs, right. even though they have a top 10 team right now in Princeton. Yeah. Uh, they happens during finals, and being an Ivy League education, they don't believe <laughs> in letting their student athletes time off. It's different for the NCAA basketball tournament because it's not during finals. Mm-hmm. However, end of the semester here, Ivy League does not participate in playoffs or bowl games. They're refocusing. So, yeah, they got to be focused because most of them don't have a career in the NFL, except Harvard actually has the most FCS players in the NFL. It's magic. Fun fact. Yeah, it's magic. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you picked that game because when I have a question for you, and I think I can better sell one of the other two games if I decide to pick whichever one I do. Harvard-Yale kicks off. On ESPN 2, I believe, at 9 a.m. Oh, okay. Which game would you watch? Idaho, Florida, or Harvard-Yale? I'm going to flip back and forth, but I think it's like you said, if it gets out of control. Then then I'm watching Harvard-Yale. You can kind of flip through. So my game of the week, there's a good one. There's a a top 10 matchup in this week. There's a top 15 matchup this week. There's a rivalry game. There's multiple rivalry games this week. But if there's one rivalry that stands out above them all that everybody in the FCS should be aware of by now, and if you're not, you should tune in and find your local watch party because you're all probably in an area where they have one. We're going to Perea. Cat Grizz, Grizz Cats, Brawl of the Wild, Battle for the Continental Divide Trophy. It's Montana versus Montana State. It is the Super Bowl of the FCS. There's nothing like it. It is the close. It is if you took Stanford, Cal, mixed it with Michigan, Ohio State, mixed it with freaking Miami and Florida State. If you took all the big rivalries you can think of, Bedlam, Red River, uh, Victory Bell, Apple Cup, if you mix Civil War, <laughs> Battle for Idaho, oh, yeah. Battle for the Palouse, the Little Brown Stein, and you mix them all. The Red Scare. If you mix them all into one rivalry, I'm not sure you could find more hatred than Montana versus Montana State. You guys might have picked up on it from the Grizz Fan Pod and obviously Hot Take Nate from Montana State's Sport Pod, or Montana Mint Sports Podcast. Um, 
They hate each other. Mm-hmm. And it is a fun game. Montana State looking to make it three in a row. Bobby Houck looking to extend his win streak in it. Uh, he'd go like seven and two all time. Uh, Jeff Choate would go three and zero. First Bobcat coach to go three and zero since like nineteen eighty two. So it's a, uh, it is an absolutely colossal matchup, and uh, it starts at eleven a.m. So it's on Root Sports. So for all of you guys that signed up last weekend for the watch AT and T thing, you should be able to use that for at least probably the whole game, maybe the first half. But this is one to tune in for. I don't like pumping up Montana and Montana State, but seriously, it's an amazing game. If you're in Seattle, you can find the watch parties at for the Grizz, which is where I'll go, at the Central and at Sluggers. It used to be at Sluggers. Uh, I think they've moved it to Central, but I'm going to stop at Sluggers first because they rent that whole bar out. It's a blast. I used to wear Vandal stuff. After last week, I'll probably just go in like a neutral green. Um, but definitely check it out. You guys, it, it, it's, it's the ultimate rivalry in the FCS. It, it, you should have no shame in watching it. Even if your team's not in it. And I spoke so long on that. Cause TJ had to refill the beers Cheers. that you guys had no idea. Last game of the year. Last pot. And it's not the last pot. Last game of the year. But that does lead us to the FCS fans. They should pick them. TJ texted me in his answers last week, and it was on Tuesday, so you you don't have to believe us or whatever. But they <laughs> they went he went four and four, I went two and six. Believe us if you'd like to, because yeah. you know we have every reason to collude on this because TJ doesn't actually pick them, so he gets no points out of this. Richmond versus William and Mary this week. TJ, who you taking? Oh, I kind of like both those teams. I'm gonna go William and Mary. I'm gonna take the Spiders from Richmond. Mm-hmm. Number eight, Colgate Toothpaste versus Army West Point. Colgate. I'm keeping my streak alive. I'm picking every FBS team versus FCS. Army. Nice. I think it's only burned me once this year. So They have, um, they have another game after yeah. that, too. Ooh, I kind of want to wait on that one. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll push back. Mm-hmm. This is the order they gave it to us in. It's not the order we have to say it in. Mm-hmm. Come on, guys. You guys need to pick these in more, like, Optimized orders. We outline it too. Don't you know we read this every year at Tubbs of the, or every game at Tubbs of the Club? We got two of them we got to move. Um, number seven, JMU versus number 15,000. Two top 15 teams battling the CAA, possibly six seeds in the playoffs for those of you following along. I'm going to fire up uh, FCS Fans Nation and pick 15,000. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. You heard it first. Lawrence. I know. Go. He's going to never listen to us again. I also picked number 15, Tyler. Oh. And I have my I picks. Got, I have good things to say about, about TJ cards. picks live. I actually have my post pre-picked <laughs> when I write them down. Mm-hmm. Lamar versus number 22, McNeese. Lamar, outside candidate for the WAC expansion, by the way. Not Lamar. I also went with the Cowboys. Um, number three, Weber State versus Idaho State. I mean, and you know, that's a close. It is technically a rivalry. It's a protected rivalry in the big sky. They don't have a name for it. But, uh, yeah, Ogden, the Pocatello is only like three hours. It's kind of like the Eastern US. Yeah, no, it's uh, more like us, Montana. I'm going to go with the other WSU, Weber State. Yeah, Weber, honestly, is rolling. I know I said UC Davis was going to Frisco. There's another team from the Big Sky. Like we have really, we honestly have three shots, three teams that have a shot. Yeah. 
UC Davis, Eastern, and Weaver all have legit shots. But So Weaver, Idaho State's unfortunately had a rough second half of the season. I mean, all due to scheduling. It's not like they blew it. It's just they had a rough part of their schedule, and I think they missed the playoffs, unfortunately. The, the, the upset loss to Cal Poly last week, mm-hmm. just not good. Weaver State takes them. Uh, number 25, woo, rewind, the game, Yale at Harvard Crimson. I'm going Yale. Uh, you know, we're the Harvard of the West, so I got to stick with the Harvard of the East. There you go. And uh, take Harvard. But Yale's probably the better football team. Um, that's not going to be counted as a half pick like I did it earlier in the year. I had some people go, is that a half pick? Uh, Brawl of the Wild, Cat, Grizz, Grizz, Cats, Battle for the Continental Divide. That's how you have to say it to keep every single person in Montana happy. Yeah, I'm going to go with Montana State this week. You know, I was my, I said it on the pod last week. Montana State should beat Montana. That changed when I got to see Montana up front. They are by far the biggest team we've seen. Their offensive line is going to be formidable in the years to come. I heard they're all young. They're huge. They're freaking ginormous. And Dalton Sneed is Troy Anderson, but can actually throw the ball. Dalton Sneed leads the Montana Grizzlies to a win in Washington Grizz. I said the Washington Grizzlies. The Montana Grizzlies in Washington Grizz. And they finally get a win back for the first time in two years. Jeff Choate does not get three in a row. Now, the FCS Fans Nation game of the week. We have number six, Jacksonville State versus number two, Kennesaw State. As you know, I'm still trying to figure out my Jacksonville, Jacksonville State. Uh, Uh, You miss up Jackson, Jacksonville State. Right. I'm going Jacksonville State. Yeah, Gamecocks. No, they're not the Gamecocks. That's something though. Safecock. Mm-hmm. I, however, am going with Hootie Who. I'm taking Kennesaw and Plank, man. You know that you remember like Edda and Eddie? Do you know their whole thing is the turnover plank and they actually have like plank for Ed and Eddie? Yeah. That's freaking great. I'm taking the number two Kennesaw Owls. Uh the big south. Um Big Sky Pick'em. Last week, Brent from the Grizz Fan Pod went four and two. Mike from the Grizz Fan Pod went five and one. TJ and Chris. Three and three, just like the game. Vandals just a bit behind. Uh, this week we have the damn cup played Friday night lights in a college or a high school stadium in Hillsboro. Yeah, it's true Friday night lights, man. Because they have their stupid soccer yep. team. And uh, yeah, the using, stupid Portland Timbers freaking won a stupid game. I would like to say I, I did miss last week, but uh, I, Chris didn't neglected to say that I did go seven and zero and pick him to the Big Sky. No, I did say that. Okay. Well, I just want to throw that out there. Did again. you listen to the podcast? I did. Do you listen when you're I not did. on it? I did. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go with Eastern that game. Still going to edit in me saying that now. But then Big Sky, while we're at it, last week I went 6-1. and one. TJ having another O in the loss column for two weeks in a row, but once in the FCS Fans Nation. This week in the Big Sky, uh, after I bla- put him on blast last week for having terrible Big Sky picks all year, he goes 7-0. and oh. No. Uh, I'm taking Eastern as well. Uh, the Causeway Classic, Sac State versus number nine, UC Davis. I'm going UC Davis. I'm taking the odds that this game is not played due to air quality. Mm. The game, Sac State's game got canceled last week, yep. and uh, UC Davis is only like freaking 30 miles away. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if they do play, I'll take UC Davis, who, by the way, is better than number nine. That is bull. They, yeah. 
I literally put them at five behind NDSU, Weber, and something like that. Yeah. Either way, I have them still in the top five behind the other two Big Sky teams, of course. North Dakota versus the Lumberjacks. I'm going North Dakota. I am actually going to say NAU finally quits having this disappointment season. And North Dakota is pretty much out of the playoffs now. So I think uh, they get tripped up in Flagstaff. I hope Kate, uh, Case Cookis makes one miraculous last appearance. And uh, that would be joyful. I'm sure there's some injury report out there that he's out for the year. But I don't follow the Lumberjacks that closely. Now we already picked Weaver State, Idaho State, Southern Utah versus Cal Poly. Oh man, I really hope Cal Poly's in there for in our conference for the next couple of years because I still want to travel there and I'm gonna pick him for that. Let's go Cal Poly. I also picked Cal Poly. There we go. They had a big win against Idaho State. Nice. And Southern Utah is small and trashy. Mm-hmm. Brawl of the Wildcat. Oh, we already picked it. Mm, damn. Excited, though. I got really excited. That's how excited you guys should be. Yep. Uh, closing time. TJ, what is going on in your life? Or what do you want to let the people know about? Yeah. Uh, sorry you guys I missed last week. Um, I was at home in enemy territory in Boise. Um, had a good time. Saw a lot of friends. Um, but I had a lot of opportunities to kind of study up on the FCS and listen to a lot of FCS Fans Nation podcasts. And... I got really excited for the FCS. I mean, I, I kind of apologize for, you know, my, my knowledge and my studies this year on this podcast, but they do a really great job, Lawrence, Kyler, and Matt. Um, shout out to you guys. Um, I, 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 I don't think our fan base is quite there yet. We'll talk about this more on the review show. Um, Stay tuned. Yeah, but, you know, this was kind of a you know experiment year for Idaho and the FCS, and um, I'm glad I got to be a part of you know you know going on to this last game in the season for this podcast. I appreciate you, Chris, for having me on as much as possible, and uh, yeah, I I think this will be a good tradition here to come for us on top of the club, and yeah, go Vandals. Yeah, uh, and hey, to be fair, if you. You did outpick me in FCS Fans Nation when you actually log picks. Wait. I did have a hot take teach. You did. You actually or might be the only person that nailed their hot take this year. And did you call that one out last pod? So you didn't listen to the last podcast. I didn't listen to the end. God. Did you, did you give me a shot? They're like right in, uh, they're not in the they're not. They're in like the middle end. But yeah, yeah, I told everyone you got that. Oh, God, get out of here. Um once again, oh, but you brought up a good point. FCS Fans Nation, if you hear us do all these FCS Fans Nation pick them challenges, well, guess what? If you want to get in on the action, they do do an FCS Fans Nation bracket challenge. They do do? They do a bracket challenge. So stay tuned, fcsfansnation.com, or follow the uh, Facebook group, FCS Football Fans Nation, or I'm sure we'll tweet it at tubsoftheclub.com. Or at Tubbs at the club on Twitter. I'll probably do it too. At Chris underscore P underscore Hammond. Either way, there's a bracket challenge. Everybody should try to join. If you go like, man, I really wish I would have done the pick'em challenge, and you kind of want to test the waters about logging picks and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's one pick. It's a bracket. Uh, I'm not totally sure how it works, but I have confirmation. They do a bracket challenge. Right. With that, it leads into my what's going on in my life that I want people to know about. Mm-hmm. If you just fallen in love with the FCS this year, like I have. The FCS selection show will be Sunday, mm-hmm. 
on ESPNU. It's 60 minutes. It'll start at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time and 10.30 uh, a.m. Mountain Standard time. So if, you know, you want to miss the first, like, 30 minutes of the NFL games, if you live out in the Northwest, the Seahawks play on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So you got nothing to watch on Sunday. The Broncos don't play till 1.15. That's March Madness in November. It is. That's it's crazy. March Madness in November. It's great. So tune into the selection show. Like I said, 9.30 Pacific, 10.30 Mountain on ESPNU, and they literally fill out the bracket. So you'll get to see the winner of Montana, Montana State. Looks like they'll probably get a bit in the playoffs. Idaho State would probably need to upset Weber, and that would just create chaos. So we'll see. The games are put on Saturday, and literally Sunday, they will be making their selections first thing in the morning. So I recommend tuning into that and then going to the FCS Fans Nation Pick'em Channel or FCSFansNation.com, filling out your bracket when they have it live because playoffs start Saturday, ladies and gentlemen. So And, and listen next week. We're going to have a really good Oh, one. yeah, and definitely. Well, that's the next part, yeah. closing time. Next week, Sean, TJ, Martin, and myself will be doing a season review podcast. So just like we did at the beginning of the year when we did a season preview podcast after having Big Sky and FCS, we'll do a review. Kind of maybe I'll see if we can jostle up some takes that we had in the preseason. Um, I've got some time to do it and uh, kind of maybe discuss what we said and where we're at now. We'll see. We're It's going to be probably one of the more fun podcasts we've done this yeah. year, just even though it's over sad news. But um, we should we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. So I hope. The people that quit tuning off after Idaho State, because we look at the viewership or listenership. Uh, there's a big drop off after Idaho State. Uh, hopefully, some people check in to kind of see some hot takes and shit on the season. Oh shit! Oh, uh, <laughs> I did good all year. Uh, then uh, basketball will be revving up as we previously mentioned. As they'll be right about the same time conference play starts going, which means Martin and Brian will be counting on the basketball takes. TJ is out for basketball. Maybe a guest appearance here or there. We'll see, uh, depending on the games. Um, myself, I would like to take the moment to say that I'm probably going to pause the breaks a bit as well. I'll probably not be like TJ. I'll be on every couple shows. Um, but I'm really going to see and try to let Brian and Martin just run with this. They're more of the basketball guys. Sean, too, if he prefers. They do. And it's just because of the fact that I can't contribute as much as they do. All I would be is dumb noise in the background. I'll just cut it up, edit it, and then give me some time. And then I'll see you guys for probably a recruiting special that we'll do come National Signing Day. And then obviously come summertime again, more so when we ramp up back for football. And let me just tell you. Right now, the football side of the podcast will be getting a huge ramp up next year. Yeah. So you guys struggled through the first year, and I, I appreciate Thank it. You. Between so having one mic and then two mics and then headphones and then cutting out interviews with Fuzz and then the fact that TJ and I are actually doing this one on one mic because I was so pissed off about the game that I forgot the second mic. Yeah. But next year, we're really up in the game, up in the quality. We've already got pieces in the work, interviews, everything like that. So next year, we'll reward you guys for staying tuned. Um, But that's it. Last game, because we probably won't have much to review next week. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I hope we do. I hope we have to to push back. The football preview show will probably come out. I can't give you a promise date, because if we win next week, we'll have a full-scale podcast. Um, And if we lose it might take a day or two we'll we'll have it out before the selection show that's what I, oh no we won't we'll have it out before the first playoff games that i can promise you anyways once again thank you for tuning in for about 60 to 80 minutes of your life 
plugging us in on your headphones, your car stereo, or however you catch Tubs at the Club podcasts. Um, TJ, any closing remarks? I guess we'll talk to you next week otherwise. Go Vandals. Love you all. I'm excited. Go Vandals. Beat Florida. The game. For all the while, Cat Grizz. Grizz Cats. We're so fired up. Uh, screw both those teams. Um, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Come on.